Email submission from Omuntu Wabantu. Punishment Island, Episode 3, Hysteria When I was 10, my parents sent me and my 8-year-old sister to boarding school, one of those old schools with a rich history and culture. It was formed during the British colonial times. Young princes were educated there by missionaries, you know, that kind of school. These days, most of those schools have fallen from grace, forgotten by now-defunct kingdoms and self-serving churches who are also trying to survive in the current political climate. When we were sent there, the whole school was a crumbling, decrepit monument of the past and a glaring sign of the disastrous future awaiting the school. In order to bring in more funding to the school, the school population was well above what the accommodation could handle. All the dormitories were overcrowded. I'm talking quadruple-decker beds. We'd jump from the tops of the bunker beds that almost reached the roofs of the dorms to the next ones just so we could move faster in the dorms. The latrines were maggot-ridden wet messes that overflowed every other day. The bathrooms would be so crowded every morning and evening that we had to book spots to use them. You had to inhale your meals because the dining hall servers gave such little portions of the meals and you were starving because you were growing kids still. The dome caretakers also called dome mothers were these bitter older women who despised almost all the kids unless their parents gave them some under the table money. If you were one of the lucky ones whose parents did this, then you'd get beaten less by the dome mothers. The teachers were the most sadistic assholes I've ever encountered, and it was a shame that they had all this power over little kids. They were paid the worst wages in comparison to their counterparts in better schools, and we suffered for it. Once, my primary five teacher caught me giggling in class. He slapped me repeatedly, over and over again. I lost my hearing for weeks afterwards and pissed myself in front of everyone while he was at it. When he saw that I had wet myself, he told me to sit with the boys adding on to the misery I felt then. He did it with this malicious little smile too. It was a nightmare that I survived only because I used reading as a coping mechanism. My parents had encouraged us to read from an early age, so I started reading the books in the home library. I had found Tom Brown's school days, Enid Blyton, and a lot of Dickens' work in there. All of that reading was filled with the struggles of sorry little kids sent to hard boarding school life or similar scenarios. Around my time in this school, Harry Potter came out, so my little sister and I devoured these books. I think she had also discovered the power of immersive reading as therapy. In my final year at school, my friends Evelyn, Wendy, Bronwyn and I found an abandoned puppy outside near the wooden makeshift canteen where these old ladies would sell samosas, chapatis and avocado on market day. It was a sorry looking little thing that completely enchanted us. Wendy had some milk left over from visiting day. So we started feeding it secretly every day after class. We hid it in one of the dilapidated classes that weren't used anymore. We would portion off some of our supper and lunch for the puppy. 
it was this bonding warm bundle that made life a little brighter in that shithole. That month, the Kakalabanda hysteria hit school, and sneaking off after lights out to feed the puppy took on another meaning. We had something else to worry about, aside from the worry of getting caught by the senior lady in the night. We had to worry about all the freaky shit happening around us. These old schools all have these scattered burial grounds where some notable missionaries and some founding Ugandans who contributed to the school were laid to rest. Most of the kids avoided those places because word had it that they were haunted. The classroom we kept the puppy was across those grounds, so we would always run like hell through there with our little hearts hammering in our chests. We would be totally and completely terrified of getting snatched up by the dead. The fear was magnified during the Kakalabanda hysteria that preceded the incident that would cause such devastation and wreckage to the school. Are you familiar with the term Kakalabanda? Because here I am going on about Kakalabanda this and that, but if you don't know what it is, then it's all kind of pointless. If you've been to any boarding school, not one of the posh ones where they laugh such things over as village nonsense, no. The ones where the nights get really dark and all the little kids pray ardently before bed because everything after lights out is filled with nightmares. Picture this. You're nine years old. You're alone in a room with 40 other kids you only met in this cold grim place. You miss your mom and dad. You're probably hungry. You've been hungry all school time and you hate your life. You're worried you upset that mean girl that everyone calls a witch. See that other girl who slashed that other kid's thigh has been moved to your dorm this time and she sleeps a few decker beds away from you. It's made falling asleep harder because you're terrified she'll slash your thigh next. Life is miserable in general and then out of nowhere one day you start hearing other kids screaming in the night from the other dorms. During morning assembly, the kids whisper about some tall dark figure walking in the corridors. No one has ever seen its face because it's so tall and so long, but they know the sound it makes. It's made out of bone, and as it moves there's a rhythmic clanking, almost melodic. If you sleep on the uppermost bunker beds near the roof, you're at the most risk. The safest are the ones on the floor beds. You, you sleep on the top decker bed. The night heat on hotter nights burns right through the old roofs onto you and the more terrifying nights you sweat right through your sheets. Kaka, kaka, children are you sleeping? Are you sleeping? Are you wearing your nighties? Are you all covered up? Are you all covered up? Did you do your homework? Did you do your homework? Did you take your bath? Did you take your bath? Did you take your bath? At first, you laugh nervously through the stories. That's what you always do. You've learned at a really young age that expressing such vulnerabilities like fear in front of these other kids will get you brutally bullied. So you've become the class clown in a way. So you make jokes about the dark figure and your friends join in the ridicule. At night though, you cover your whole body and lie there as stiffly as possible until morning. You barely get any sleep and it's wreaking havoc on your real thin little body. That was my life during the hysteria. It was also the time I was at my best behavior. I stopped skipping nighttime showers. I was so worried the thing would smell me. 
they said that if you move, it would tell that you weren't sleeping. It would then wrench you out of your bed and beat you to death. The hysteria became so much that the other ghosts apparently started appearing. The dead from the graveyard started roaming the school grounds too. Every night there would be kids screaming from different dorms into the night. We were also terrified and miserable, so people started sneaking out to their friends' dorms and sleeping with each other for safety. It was against the rules, but we had decided to take the beatings over possibly being got by the things that were walking around at night. The hardest thing was feeding the puppy while all this was going on. On some nights, Bronwyn refused to come with us, so it was just little Wendy, Evelyn and I braving the dark night to feed the puppy. Then we would rush back to the dorms before we were locked outside. The dorm mothers had noticed that people weren't sleeping in their assigned dorms, so they had decided to lock the doors at 11pm every night. The windows of the dorms were those burglar-proof metal things that only hands could pass through. It was a recipe made for disaster in hindsight. So we would rush back by 11 after feeding the puppy, jump straight into bed and hope that whole thing wouldn't get us that night. On the night that everything went horribly wrong, I remember it was probably 11.30pm, none of the other girls wanted to go out to feed the puppy at all that night. Bronwyn had convinced the others that she had seen the thing the previous night. She insisted that the only reason she had been spared was because she was in the lower bunker beds. She said that she had a bad feeling that if we went out that night, it would get all of us, and that it was on to us. She was convinced that we were putting everyone who slept in our corner in trouble because we always smelled like puppies at night. Wendy and Evelyn were terrified. I could see them being swayed by the argument. To be honest, I was scared shitless too. Thing is that I knew we hadn't fed the puppy all day. I was constantly worried that if we took a day off from checking on the puppy, we would get back and it would have wandered off and gotten captured by the groundskeepers. I told them this in whispers because I didn't want any of the other girls in the dorm to overhear us and snitch on us. They would not only take the puppy away from us, but we would get a severe beating if we were caught. After what felt like forever and a little bribery, I convinced Wendy to go with me. She said that we would run over to the class, see if the puppy was there, wouldn't touch it in case we got dirty or got the smell on us. I agreed. We'd just check and then ride back to the dorm. The others stayed back, so me and Wendy ran with all that we had across the graveyard, stumbling in the dark, breathing heavy. When we got to the classroom, we had a slight panicky moment where we couldn't find the puppy. It wasn't huddled up in its usual corner. I started panic mumbling about how it had been taken and Wendy started sniffling. I think in that hysteric frenzy we were almost at our emotional end. We were just two little girls in what felt like a crazy world. Some monster was probably going to kill us when we got back to the dorms. The dorm mother was probably going to lock us out and then we'd get beat up by her or the ghosts roaming the school grounds. And now our puppy had been taken away. Wendy had started to audibly cry as I panicked around the empty classroom. We had a small buck from one of the dark corners and rushed to eat. You know when you're so relieved that you throw away all caution, eh? We picked up that shivering small bundle, its cold wet nose rubbing all over us and soaked up all the puppy comfort we could get. For a short while, I remember feeling like I wanted to spend the rest of the night in that classroom with the puppy. Wendy had stopped crying and whispered that we had to make a run back to the dorms. We promised to bring double the food we usually brought for the puppy because we hadn't brought anything that day and ran back. As we got near the dorm, it dawned on us that we had definitely missed the curfew. The dorm was surely locked by then. Wendy took up her sniffling again and I was almost pissing my pants right then. There was a distinct smell of smoke in the air too. 
That was soon explained as we got closer to the dorm. The smoke was coming from inside. When we got to the dorm door, it was locked. We could hear some sort of panic inside. Stupidly, at first we thought that it was the dorm mother chasing someone inside for a beating. And that got us even more freaked out. What if she was looking for us? We decided to run around the windows and peek inside. I don't know why, but at that point, the smoke didn't have any significance to it for us. As we peeked into the windows, we were greeted with what felt like a muted horror scene. The packed dorm interior was filled with smoke. Most of our dorm mates were banging on the windows, walls and the door. Some lay unconscious on the floors, others on the beds. The dorm was overcrowded so there wasn't any space for much of anything. The far end of the dorm looked like it had caught fire. Some of the mattresses were ablaze. When the girls nearest the window saw us, the screaming and shouted increased. Wendy and I had been frozen in this stupid trance just gawking at the carnage through the windows. But we were quickly snapped out of it with the loud screams. We could see that some of the kids were suffocating on the smoke, tears trailing down their smudged faces. One of them was Evelyn. She was yelling and banging on the burglar-proof metal rail that blocked the glass windows. We shattered the glass but couldn't budge the metal rails, and the air that entered that section of the dome seemed to actually set the nearest mattress on fire. Evelyn's night nearest to that mattress caught fire too, and she struggled to remove it. I remember Wendy running off the teacher's quarters on seeing Evelyn's nighty on fire. I think she wanted to get help. I can still see them, suffocating and dropping one by one. I can still feel the heat emanating off the metal decker beds and the window railings. Those damned window railings. If they hadn't been there, some of them would have escaped the fire. What still gives me nightmares up to now, ten years later as an adult, the sight of Bronwyn. Her short, chubby face completely on fire on her knees caught in a wordless scream looking up at the dark, tall figure. I remember seeing the polished bones of the legs before her, the fire's light bouncing off her body onto that figure's bones, her little body prostrate before it. I remember backing away, seeing Evelyn yelling out to me, me stumbling backwards away onto the quadrangle's grass, then the glass in all the windows shattering, and then darkness. I woke up in a hospital bed, my parents and little sister by my bedside. I later learned that there had been no survivors from the dome's fire. The newspapers blame the school's overcrowded dorms and poor accommodation setup. Up to now, there are people that say that it was a competing school sabotage, stuff like that. When we were asked why we had been outside at night, Wendy had told the school and our parents about the puppy. I didn't even get to see her when I got out of hospital. Her parents had decided to take her from the school. I became mute. Every single time I tried to talk, I just couldn't. It lasted for a year and by that time I just didn't want to talk about it at all. My dad went back to the school and looked for the puppy. He brought it home and for that child to just be me cuddling that tiny bundle even in bed. I always felt safer with it around. There'd be less nightmares and stuff. Yesterday that dog passed away in his sleep. After crying for hours and then having a full-blown panic attack at the thought of days without it here, I buried it in my mom's garden and decided to send in my story to you. I've never told anyone most of this. No one knows just how much of my life I owe to that dog. He saved my life. Thank you for listening to Punishment Island Episode 3 Hysteria. Written and performed by Masembe. Intro music was Mystic by Yusuf Asidebe. Cover right by Typical Ugandan. You can listen or download the show on all podcast platforms at your convenience. Please subscribe, rate and write a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts or wherever you listen from.
Find me online at Punishment Island on Instagram, Tumblr, and Twitter. Thank you. Mweba denyo. Kaka. Kalavanda, Kalavanda, children she's sleeping she's sleeping are you wearing your night wearing your night are you all covered up you all covered up did you do your homework did you take your bath did you take your bath did you take your children She's sleeping, she's sleeping. Are you wearing your night? Are you all covered up? Are you all covered up? Did you do your homework? Did you do your homework? Did you take your bath? Did you take your bath? Did you take your bath?